This recap of Tough as Nails, episode number nine, is sponsored by our friends over at rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. What's up with that? Rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and reliably low. Rockauto.com offers the lowest prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like the airlines do. Rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or even a Account login, rockauto.com. They're a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. I bet uh, you could find alternators too. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Rockauto.com's catalog. It's unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and for do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Rob as a podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, all at rockauto.com. Rob, Mike, and Jessica Lee, it's the only new show that's on TV. Phil Kogan is the aftermath, so watch out first, baby, Yes. The team competition is over on Tough as Nails. We're here to talk about the final battle between the Savage Crew and Dirty Hands here today. I'm Rob Sisterno, uh, back with our esteemed panel of lumberjacks to uh, talk about the latest hour of Tough as Nails, of course, uh, back with us once again. I suspect that uh, she knows how to wield an axe. It's Jessica Lease. Jess, how are you? Uh, well, frankly, Rob, I'm a little bit better at wielding cookies than axes, but I'm doing both. great. You could do both. Many right. talents. Uh, a man who uh, survived a maybe a uh, not an axe, but a close shave. A newly shorn Mike Bloom is here. Mike, how are you? I'm good. Luckily, I have Lee manning the scissors and not Callie. Otherwise, you might have a headless Mike Bloom to talk with. And back with us once again, uh, the host, creator, executive producer, director of Tough as Nails. Here is Phil Kogan. Phil, how are you? I... <laughs> The bell is so off-putting. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm sorry, Phil. Yeah, <laughs> Phil, how are you? <laughs> the bell means go. The bell means no, I'm good. Really, Rob, I'm great. I just I love tuning in for your bell and hearing you in the morning. And yes. um, thank you. Thank you for having me back. And um, I did get a call from my agent. It was like uh, you're doing a lot of work on this. Uh, Rob has a podcast thing. Um, where where do we send the invoice? And I said I would ask. Um, so, like, <laughs> like where, where do I send it? Uh, I mean, you could just email me the details. I'll, I'll email you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll work. We'll work it all out. I've done all of this in good faith, with the idea that um, you know, at the end of the series, and having uh, hopefully uh, contributed to this discussion, that um, 
you know, we can figure out a, a fair and reasonable figure. Yes. It's dirty, yeah. dirty hands, clean money. That's podcasting <laughs> business. I think it's clean hands, clean money is really what we're going for here. Mm-hmm. With this yes. Group. Try to keep it clean. Uh, yeah. There's spills sometimes, uh, crumbs. But other than that, uh, mostly a clean business. All right. So, Phil, uh, very excited to have you uh, back here with us to talk about. Uh, we are one week away from the finale of Tough as Nails, but the team competition is over and uh, Dirty Hands walks away with the title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, ding. Um, what a what a finale for the team competition, huh? I, uh, you know, I, I swear, if you scripted what happened last night, if you scripted all the beats of Tara going against uh, Linda and, and beating Linda and Lee calling out Murph and losing and then calling Murph back again and then beating him and Young going up against Melissa and replaying the overtime of uh, out in the in the in the pick apart yard. I mean, every single thing, if you scripted it in a show, people would like mm, that's great. That's, you know, really great story, but not believable that that could that would never happen in real life. Um so, you know, can you make it more realistic? Mm-hmm. And what happened? I mean, that moment, I swear to you, I was, uh, you know, really am I, and you can probably tell, really am I left speechless. I was left speechless when I looked over and, and Lee said he was picking Murph for a second time. I looked over at him like, uh, is this really happening? Like, you, you want to, you just, and the whole thing is on the line and you're going to go up against him again. And he was like, all the cookies in one jar. And uh, I was like, all right, we got a show here. So yeah, it was, it was great. It was just, it was a fantastic moment of television. And I've had people contact me since last night and just say that moment for me is like one of the best TV reality moments I've ever been witness to in a part of. Yeah. So from an editing perspective, uh, because obviously like this was not going to be the only ra- part of the round. There's obviously still going to be individual competition and OT, as was talked about. Was this the case where just so much happened? Because I know that originally when the show was announced, it said it was going to run for 10 episodes. But from an editing perspective, did you always know that the ninth episode was only going to be the team competition or at some point down the line, did you say like, well, so much is going on here between the tiebreaker and the back and forth of it all that we're going to make the entire team competition the episode proper? There was no definitive plan because it was season one and we just didn't know how things were going to play out. So there were options available. Um, we did not plan to do an extra hour. It's just that, as you will see in the finale, there's also incredible content um, and also stuff that if you scripted, it would be hard to uh, believe was real. So, no, it was really just a matter of leaving ourselves open, having options. And um, and then, yeah, we went to CBS and, and asked about getting another hour because there was just so much good content. Mm. Yeah. Can I ask about the structure of the final tiebreaker round where we ended up seeing uh, Danny go up against Murph? Uh, it was basically choose your champion from each side to go up against head to head. Can you just uh, talk through the was there any consideration of having it be maybe uh, three versus three as opposed to one person being the champion to determine the team competition? No, no. Uh... 
it was just a choice that we made um, for a number of reasons. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a creative choice. Hmm. Uh, you know, we probably could have had everybody go and then maybe someone would say, gosh, they destroyed a lot of trees in that challenge. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think, I think like with any creative decision you make, there's always a, well, what did you, you know, what about this? What about that? That was the choice we made. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots of factors at play. Some I want to bore you with, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it was just a creative choice we made. And, and, and the way it played out was great. And look, we could have gone, made different creative choices and things would have gone a different way. So you're rolling the dice mm-hmm. with any creative choice. And, um, I always said, you know, I've said it to you before, uh, when people think that they, cause any idea is, is totally subjective, right? How you do a challenge, how the rules of a particular game work or whatever it is. And I always go, you know, do it, you know, like, uh, do it, have a go and make it happen and do it the way you think it should work properly. Cause no, you're never, ever going to make a choice that everybody thinks is the right choice because it's creativity. It's not a science. It's not, it's not right or wrong. It's not black or white. It's, it's this, this weird thing that you decide to, you know, why, why does, why does the rook move the way the rook moves? I wish it could move this way and that way, but no, somebody made a choice that the rook moves that way and creative choice. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually had a question about a different creative choice this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have several questions about several creative choices. Um, but the one that stands out to me is the fact that this final challenge was really not a team challenge at all, mm. except in that you had people kind of strategizing which person to which champion to choose for each event. And it was very jarring to me having seen so many challenges that were structured such that everybody had to be working together and communicating and planning at all times to go from that, especially at the end of the competition to have the final team competition be something that's really not terribly team based. That was a curious choice to me. And I'd love to know why this one was in that spot. Yeah, I guess my argument there, Jess would be that it was team based because, um, they were having to make decisions about what discipline and what person. Um, and that wasn't done by one person that was done by the team. So, uh, while it wasn't everybody working at one given time, that was a democratic vote from the team and the team discussing that. So it was a different way of working as a team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and it was different and it was done differently on purpose to change it up and to make it different from uh, from the other team challenges. Um, so just a, it was just yeah, just a creative choice to try mixing it up. And 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 I'm glad we did it because I honestly I would match what happened last night in the team competition with any you know moments of competitive reality TV that's been out there. I mean, I'm I, I certainly it's up there with the, the best competition reality TV that I've been a part of. And um, I'm glad we mixed it up. I'm glad we tried it. And I'm, and I'm glad we, we made it about that. And, you know, Miles saying at the end, 
I don't have to, <clears throat> I don't have to be the leader. I don't have to be the one that does this. And I think you're the person, the, the right person to be able to represent all of us. And the fact that Danny was the one that put the team together in the first place and the way that it all came together. And then Lee deciding that he was going to take on the responsibility for the entire team and put himself on the line like that. To me, that was working as a team because somebody could have argued and said, no, 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 Lee, you can't do that. You just lost to him, but they all believed in him and trusted him. Um, I loved the way that the team rallied around him. And instead of saying, you know, dirty hands, they said, Lee, you know, I, I loved that. So yeah, I, I would, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I respectfully disagree that it wasn't team. That was very much about team. No one person in any one team was making decisions that ruled over anybody else. That was really about, to me, if anything, it accentuated how you do work as a team and where you make decisions based on the collective good rather than what you think is good for you. If, if Murph was making decisions that were for him and not for team, he would have said, guys, listen, I got a lot of money on the line. I'm going into the individual competition. As much as I want to be a part of this team, I'm not prepared to risk cutting my finger and risk my jeopardizing my chances at winning the overall team prize for my team. So I'm not going to make a team decision. I'm going to make an individual decision. You guys are on your own. Figure it out. I'm done. I've put myself out there enough for you guys. So figure it out because it ain't going to be me. But he didn't. He made a decision for team. And that is strategizing. And that is team strategizing. So while he's not, while they're all not like physically doing something and putting stuff in bags and loading and, and trying to figure it out on the fly, I thought it was very much about team and team decision making and, and strategizing. Well, from a storytelling point of view, you also give yourself the opportunity there to demonstrate the bonds that have grown between yeah. these people because everybody spends their time strategizing to talk about who should be the right person. And at this point, they know each other well enough to make that call. Whereas if you'd done this challenge in the beginning, they wouldn't have had that strength that they've acquired over time. And I think the thing that makes this show very special to me is the way that people have personally evolved and the way they're putting that evolution into practice right away. Because every show at the end of the show, they talk about, I've learned so much about myself and I've changed so much, but you don't get to see that in action the way that you really have immediately. These people take what they've learned and they apply it right away. And I found that very interesting. Yeah. I, I loved for me, the things that were really special about last night's episode was normally in a team competition or in the heat of battle, you haven't got the ability to slow time down. Mm-hmm. You, haven't got the time, you haven't got the ability to put the hit the pause button and to let people talk and let it breathe mm. and let the, the you know like break up the 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 competition. It's go when the work whistle blows, get the job done, finish. And then you have some wrap up over here. But what this allowed was go, stop, press, pause, strategize, talk it out, let it breathe, reset, go another section, stop, strategize, reset, assess. And so this was happening, happening incrementally. And I loved that in the middle of this battle, I could say to Murph, you respect good sportsmanship. 
about his battle with Lee. And he can be a gracious loser in that moment and talk about Lee and let us focus on Lee Mm -hmm. and let Lee have a moment of redemption. Having that moment of redemption for Lee and isolating him out of the team where he was representing his team and doing something for his team would have been impossible to do if everybody was doing everything at one time like we normally did. Lee never would have had his moment back in the sun. Mm-hmm. Lee never would have had his moment of redemption. Lee got it back last night, and Tara got it back last night. Tara, who needed that so bad, she needed that high, that, that moment of redemption. She beat Linda, who has been hands down the strongest woman consistently through the series, along with Callie. And she stepped up and went against Linda, the powerhouse of Linda, and beat Linda. And that moment would never have happened if everybody was doing everything at the same time and we we, we weren't able to isolate a one-on-one moment where Tara did that for her team and her team was behind her and she had that that great moment and we could and, and Linda was gracious with it. And then Linda went back to get the support from her team. And what I loved, and it's been a part of the series, is just the rivalry is there. There's a fierce competitive spirit between them all. But there's also this deep underlying respect, regardless of what team someone is on. And when you hear them say that we feel like we're a part of a family, that is real. We're not manufacturing that. We're not asking them to say any of that. That's all them. That's That's part of what they got out of this experience. Nothing to do with us. Nothing that we've tried to manipulate or manufacture or nothing. That is all coming from the heart. And that's real. That's how they feel. That's how they felt. And to this this day, they're tight. They're family. They really are. And I think that to that point that you made as well, what this format at least benefits from, from a storytelling perspective is for all intents and purposes, like you said, the team challenge is done. So essentially six or uh, eight, seven people, sorry, in this cast are basically no longer in the running to acquire any more money. And I do feel like what this did benefit, because I do agree with Jess that I, I do think it was an interesting choice than the team challenge was something that was more individually focused, even if it was more strategic. But it was a great way to sunset some of these characters. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Lee got his moment to shine after he vocalized like I was eliminated too early and I basically haven't been able to do much since. So now I get to do something. You mentioned Tara, who obviously had one of the bigger emotional moments. Even someone like Michelle, even though she lost, we get our little like requisite Michelle moment, right? Of like, she's a badass. Uh, You know, she can basically do everything as she amazingly. Yeah. Yeah. She amazingly puts never underestimate a woman with experience. So like it was a cool way. Look, not everyone who was eliminated got their time in the sun, but even like young who uh, did not fare terribly well in a lot of the main challenges got to show like, Hey, uh, he kicks some ass in OT as he showed when he was able to, to show up Melissa twice over. And so it was a cool way to sort of say goodbye to those characters who will still be there in the finale, but obviously will not have as much of a stake to play considering that they're part of the competitions now over. Well, don't underestimate how much they, they have at stake oh. uh, being part of the, the, the fact that they are so behind Murph. I mean, they are they are living vicariously through him, and the same with the teams, the people on Dirty Hands are living vicariously through Miles and Linda and Callie and and uh, who else? Danny. 
So you, you can't underestimate what's at stake for them because it's like watching again part of your family now going in with a chance at winning the overall title. So that's not to be underestimated. Mm. Meaning, yes, they're out of it. But when Michelle says, I would clean the, la- la- the latrines for Murph, and Lynette speaks from the heart and gets welled up when she realizes that Murph is prepared to do whatever for the team and what that means to her. They've got a lot invested in their teammates. So, yes, it's they're not in it for the, the money now and they're not in for some title, but they're in it for their family to do well and to see their family do well. So I don't think you can underestimate that. It, it's very different from, and again, this is part of why, to me, the format is different because it's not all or nothing for these people. It's not like, oh, I'm out now, so I'm out. I don't, I'm not invested. I don't care. No, they really care, and they really want to see their teammates uh, do well. Will they play any kind of active role in the finale, or will they be, um, or will they be just cheering on the sidelines? Can they make bets? They have money in the bank. Are they allowed to bet on their competitors? I was thinking more in terms of like an apprentice scenario. Yeah, well, you were talking about Love Island and Vegas, so. There's sort of a gambling aspect. It's a format, you know, like some people are going to like it. Some people won't like it. Some people like gambling. Some people don't like gambling. But yes, they will be gambling their winnings on who's going to win. No. I'm <laughs> wow. Phil, you really sold me. I'm like, boy, Phil, this is a, a bold choice. Wow. Well, I, think, I don't know. I feel like Lee be like, I got so many cookies in the jar at this He's point. Like, I can't help it. but not I got it. Miles. I got to do it. Oh. All the cookies are on Double the line. Nothing. Is it? Is is Lee just the most magical character ever? I mean, the lines, all the cookies in one jar. I yeah, knew Phil, I, I feel. I feel like it gives the best and worst thing to tell them what a cookie meant in terms of lumber parlance because he just would not get off the cookie thing the entire well, time. He was not the only one. I, I noticed there's a point. It feels like there is a point at which, like, they took a break in filming, and Phil, someone told you what a cookie was, and then you started hammering on it too. Yeah. Like, look- I, I, uh, oh, you think Phil doesn't fun. know what a cookie is? Yeah, no, I, listen, that, that, uh, Lee last night, if you didn't feel something, like when he talked about it, it was like the Michael Jordan shot and I had to take it and that we, I'm all in and I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna win this and I can win this. And the look on his face and then the look on Murph's face, have you ever seen Murph scared? That was like, apart from when he did the, <laughs> whole rappel the height thing like murph was like are you kidding me this guy really wants another go at me and the look on his face he actually looked scared because lee looked like he was ready to take him down and he did take him down and then he said i haven't felt like this for 20 years and (laughs) how could you not feel like how could you not feel something for lee in that moment you know it was so powerful and uh, I had a friend of mine who has a bar and and he texted me and he said, like, hands down, his favorite TV reality moment ever, that whole interchange when he picks with and he said he literally like fell off his bar stool, stood up and charged his fist forward, like, yeah, you go, you go, you go. It's like Yeah into that moment. It was such a great moment when Lee ends up challenging Murph for the second time where it's like 
that you just like don't do it don't do it lee and <laughs> and he does it and then he ends up beating him and you know he was really beating himself up after the first time that he lost yeah. he felt like he could do it and then he talked about how he just like uh that he knew what to do and he just like tried to just muscle his way through it instead of doing it smart so it was a really great moment just to see him after he was just so hard on himself after he did my favorite moments it's gonna be hard to beat i mean it's just and and he said it and he said i was two strokes short you know like i messed up and i i was two strokes short and it's exactly how much he beat murph by but basically two strokes and he didn't he said if i don't make a mistake i can beat him and he didn't make a mistake and he beat him and uh you know murph did make a mistake he got his his uh source um held up and that determination on Lee's face, you're looking at a 62 year old guy going up yeah. against Murph, who's just like a machine. And I mean, it was so powerful. It, it, it was great. And then to hear Tara's appreciation of that moment, like, I don't know. I, I, um, uh, I, I love, I love that it happened. It was just, it was just, it was special. It was like, you know, I've had a few moments in my career where you realize something really special is happening in front of the camera and that was one of them. I was like, "Oh my God, we have we have gold to work with here." And the editors, um, this one editor that we worked with, she she put that mo- that whole moment together and just crushed it. It just really crushed it. Well, I think that even like I mean, you guys had luckily had enough material to fill the entire hour because I really felt like this little, even just the final challenge, even not going into the tiebreaker, was like a microcosm of the entire team challenge of the season, right? But almost the positions were reversed now, where now Savage Crew, for one reason or another, became the Dirty Hands and that like they took a very quick commanding lead. And now Dirty Hands finally gets to be like the scrappy underdogs, the bad news bears, and be able to sort of work their way back so there was even like a back and forth going on in this woodsman challenge that was more representative of again the storytelling speaking about like what the general trajectory of it like you said like it's very script uh, i mean it's not very scripted it's it's very uh it's almost like off the page in terms of just how epic it ended up being and to have the challenge also possess that is really fun as well you can understand why some people thought that the whole thing is set up right you can understand because it was here, here's this team that was down 3-1, 4-1. They come back 4-2, 4-3. They tie it up 4-0. They go into a tiebreaker. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, where did they come from? They were, they were, they were completely falling apart at the at the uh, rock gravel at the, at the mm-hmm. sand factory, and they somehow rally together and they come. And then when they when they start getting into this challenge, they're they're beating them like strategically finding a way to manipulate it. Like they have to now get Paul miles out to go up against Michelle in an underhand shot, because that's how, like how panicked they are. And they're like, Oh my God, what's going on? Like what happened to us? We're meant to be the team that destroys this other team and we're running away with it. And then they turn the whole thing around. Are you kidding me? Like, how did this happen? So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was magic. And I think, uh, you know, part of, Part of bringing the thing I love about the overtimes is that there's a, I told you it's like two boxers walking into a ring into this intense space. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that was sort of the idea with this was a lot of the team challenges are big. It's a big field with huge pieces of irrigation. Well, that was actually an individual challenge, but like the, the fencing was big and the gravel pit big was stretched out over, a, you know, like a square mile. 
a lot of the, the challenges are big and, you know, we've tried to make them as big as we possibly can. And now we do this and we just bring it all in and there's an intensity to the stakes. And uh, yeah, anyway, we're very happy with how it all worked out. There's a certain amount of relief, I have to tell you. You're not scripting something. You, you're like, all right, let's see what happens today. Yeah, well, I can imagine, especially when Dirty Hands was up four to four to one, you're like, well, we're not going to scrap the challenges, but it'd be nice if the Savage crew made up some wins here to make things at least a little more competitive. And lo and behold, they did just that. Yeah, I mean, from day one, I talking to the team, I said, you know, in an ideal situation, we get a four four situation because the teams are so close and tight. And then there was a point in the middle of shooting and I was like, oh man, this didn't work out. Like what happened? Because theoretically the team should be even because mm-hmm. if you've got two people who win and then they're picking the people that they think are the best, technically you're getting who's the second best over pick and then who's the second best in the other pick and then third and then third and then fourth and then fourth and then you know, again, you don't absolutely know because you don't have, you don't know everything about these people. And look how many people underestimated Michelle. She was the last pick, and then she wasn't the last, She wasn't the first one out. So you know, there were there are some variables there. But the idea is that really it should be even. It should be that the picks are pretty close, and you're getting a pretty close competitive mm. team challenge, team competition. Yeah. Phil, now that the team competition is over, as you're looking ahead to season two, have you had any thoughts on uh, whether you want to do anything differently with the way that the team competition works for next season? Lots of, yeah, lots of notes about things that we want to tweak and um, things that we feel worked and things that we were worried about not working that did work. And um, yeah, so it's a lot of, a lot of debriefing and, you know, just gathering information from people, getting feedback from everybody. Um, because I just want to say that I love the team competition. And, and I really think that it's the heart of the show. And, you know, yeah. I, I would love to see, if anything, even more focus on the teams and their dynamics in the second season of Toughest Nails. Yeah, well, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it delivered what we wanted it to deliver, but it it delivered more than, quite frankly, I thought it was going to, um, you know, the drive time was meant to be the drive time was meant to be something that we wanted to make sure we were rolling in those vans going to and from work because we didn't want to miss any conversation, any important conversation, but it was never meant to be, uh, a major part of the show. It was more that, Oh, if there's something interesting happens in there, let's at least make sure we have it. But it ended up being, a very powerful part of the show that people really loved. So I, I can see us, uh, you know, leaning into some of that stuff even more. Um, I, I, there's certain things that I would love the contestants to talk about even more. Um, mm. we, we know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's that balance, right? Of uh, It's the balance of, it's a competition reality show. So we need to see competition. And then, people wanting to get to know these characters Mm -hmm. and you know uh i think there's going to be a lot of the audience that are going to miss these characters because they've they've really compared to a lot of other shows i think people really get a sense of who they are you know i think people get a good sense of who michelle is 
I think people get a, have got a good sense of the story arc of Tara and what she's been through in her life. And, and so I think there's an attachment, there's an emotional attachment that the audience has with the show that is different from others. Because, yeah, I, I just want to add also that, and I, I think that what Tough as Nails does that every other one of these shows that does differently, it's like, okay, there are there are team elements of different shows and, uh, you know, specifically uh, Survivor, the team element is, you know, a very big part of the beginning of the game. But it's always in the the backdrop of, yes, you have a team, but eventually you'll be turning against these people. Mm-hmm. And what Tough as Nails has, which I don't think there's another show that has that, is you you have your team. And you never are turning against your team. You are this. This is your group. And we get to see this group sort of figure out and discover who they are. And there is no point of like, okay, let's just let Murph take the lead now. But we're really, you know, we're going to plot to, you know, backstab him eventually. Like they are like a family for all intents and purposes on the show. Yeah, it does make you wonder whether whether an audience would have been ready for something like this five, 10 years ago, like because, because reality television has survived so long for so long on the villain and the, and the, and the strategy of trying to beat out people sometimes in a, uh, well, in a villainous way, you know, where you're like backstabbing people because the, the, the genre has, has, uh, survived on that for so long. You do wonder whether, just the, the the environment that we live in now, we're more open to that idea of something that is more focused and on feel good and being a part of supporting other people. I don't know. Uh, you know, I made a, a, a show, Louise and I sold the show to Discovery back in 2004. It was called No Opportunity Wasted. And mm. we gave people 72 hours and $3,000 to go and do something that they always wanted to do. And, you know, the book did really well. I've done speeches about the philosophy. It's a feel-good philosophy about helping people do the things they've always dreamt of. But the show on a commercial level was not a success uh, here in America. And I often wonder whether that was because a big part of it was that it was too feel-good. It was too it was too nice and, you know, it was too queen for a day maybe. And people didn't want to see that. They wanted to see... I'll tell you another thing. I'm going to, you know, rip your arm off and, you know, like it didn't have, it, it didn't have that, um, it didn't have that, ah, I'm going to backstab you and kick you out. And, you know, it was more like, you know, we did a, a guy who put on a wedding for anonymously for a needy couple, you know, uh, I ended up on Oprah talking about it. They wanted to do a series uh, based on that, you know, like maybe, Maybe the world is just more open to a show like this now where it is more feel good than they would have been even five years ago. Well, I have to wonder if there's two things at play here. I think maybe we've reached our saturation point in how many times we can watch people stab each other in the back. But I think I've also been thinking about this a lot through the lens of I maybe want a show that's inspirational and cuddly at this exact moment in time Mm. when the entire world is a giant dumpster fire. I feel like I can enter the world of of tough as nails and here are all these people that are relentlessly positive about what they do and supportive of each other. And nobody is trying to get ahead just for themselves. And I find that is maybe exactly the message I need right now. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Jess. I mean, I, I came to America because America represented to me uh, inclusiveness. And I, I always looked at America as the being on the cutting edge of encouraging success and giving people opportunity. That was what it represented to me. And then I came here and I was amazed at how, A, how generous Americans are in general and also how supportive they are of people and success. That was the thing that really got me was if you did well in America, people like were genuinely happy for you, like really proud of you. And I think that's so cool. And they, they loved, they supported. I've always felt like there was a support for success. And, and what, what I've seen recently and I am generalizing and I'm broad stroking and all the rest of it. So I don't want to, and it's not a science or anything. I'm just saying, I feel like there's too many people drilling in on what is, what divides us and separates us. And it's so destructive and it's horrible for our kids to be seeing this. And even, you know, with the race issues that are going on right now, like just, just keeps going on and on. And it's like, to me, it's so un-American. And um, I don't know what the answer is, but I do think that a show like Tough as Nails, where I know there are people that vote for both parties and some for independent, and they come from different walks of life, and they're old and they've dealt with ageism and racism and sexism. I've seen a group of people from all walks of life come together, find a way to figure out their differences, get along, get the job done, respect each other. And to me, it's, it's representative of what I always thought America was and why I came to this country. I think to your point, we do need more of this messaging. We need less of why you're different from me and why that's not as good as what I think. And it's a lot of finger pointing and, and absolutes, you know, it's, it's why I was ranting, I guess the other week It's just, (laughs) why does everything have to be so left and right and black and white and wrong and right. And why is that? What, why is, why can't we just live in the gray? Because that to me is what America is. It's acceptance. And if somebody doesn't understand what the LGBT community looks like, then help them understand. Don't knock them down for not understanding that. Maybe they never been exposed to it and they don't know. And they need like some information. So yeah, I, I'm ranting, but I'm I'm saying this I is agree. hardly a rant, Phil. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, saying I agree with you, Jess, and and mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, I, I, I think that's a positive thing that the show has had to offer, and that's certainly what I'm hearing from the audience. So it reminds me that um, the majority of people have the best of intentions, and they want the best for everyone. And yeah. sometimes we disagree on what that is, but it's what we all. It's it's what we all actually want, and uh, you can't let a vocal minority dissuade you of that notion. Yeah, exactly. On, on, on a completely different note, Phil, who are the better rappers, Team Fun or Dirty Hands? <laughs> uh, that was a pretty good rap. Come on, in the van, that was pretty good. 
<laughs> but um, uh, team fun are, you know, as a pair, I think it's easier when you've just got two, but, you know, trying to go around a whole round robin of six people in a van while you're driving, that's pretty good. Yeah, that I was thought- very true to Dirty Hands in that, like, they were extremely well organized. Everyone had a line. The rhymes were pretty sound. Like, was that a, did they prepare that ahead of time? Not just that, but like the song, or was that something that truly came spontaneously out of them going into the final challenge? I, I do believe that, that, that it had been evolving over time. Like, I think they've been rapping for a while. Working on it all season. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, it's a rare moment of dirty hands in the van. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've spent enough time in the van with Savage Crew mm-hmm. that we're practically passengers ourselves. But I was like, hey, it's the dirty hands van. And that's what they've been doing this whole time. They've been working up this rap. And so we needed to see the final product. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, there was a lot more going on in that dirty hands. I um, mean, sorry, the Savage Crew van this season. <laughs> Going going back to episode five, there was a lot lot more uh, sitting on the couch counseling going on. Exactly, they were going through their problems during. It's like, okay, let's work on our harmonies, people, as we go into the individual <laughs> challenge. Exactly, exactly. But you know, the ones that did come out of Dirty Hands, some of those pertinent moments. You know, one of my favorite moments with Lee and mm-hmm. and and Miles in the back, and you know that scene of him talking and Lee going, I got nothing but respect for you. And I love how you love your family. Uh, you know, powerful stuff, you know, and you see it from people watching the reactions. And I love the cutaways of everybody listening in, like being a fly on the wall to a conversation between two African-American men in different generations and them being able to be a fly on the wall there and kind of take that in and let that sink in what they're saying. You know, that was kind of powerful to me. I don't know if you picked up on that, but I love the reactions to what are being said sometimes more than looking at the person saying it. It's more what's going on the face of Melissa in that moment when she's listening. She's taking that on board. She's going to take that home with her and she's going to remember that. And that's going to affect how accepting she is going forward in her life. And then that is a lesson that she's going to then share with her kids. As you know, she's pregnant and so that is a lesson that's how that's how we accept each other right is by listening observing taking it on and then being able to share it and open people's eyes up and that conversation opened up i think a lot of eyes for people like wow okay i get it now you know get that Mm. and it did it without preaching which I think is a really hard tone to strike. And I mean, we've talked about this before that it's, it's really amazing that this show manages to teach so much about not just how interpersonal relationships, but just like about the world in general without feeling like you're being talked down to, or that it's veering into cliche territory. I think it does a very good job of that. Yeah. And and look, that huge amount of credit has to go to the editors. And Mm -hmm. I think I told you having a balance of, you know, we've tried to have a very diverse production team, people from all walks of life, male, female, old, young, uh, different shades of skin color. You know, it's all and people who represent different groups. It's so important because no one person can understand every other person's life and perspective. And so when you have those different colors, sometimes it can be more challenging because there's more discussion that sometimes has to take place because there's less shorthand because 
maybe someone is sensitive to something and you don't understand why. And then you have to take the time to like, what do you mean? And so I remember there was one moment with one of our female editors and um, there was something that was said in a, in a reality scene. And she said, look, as a woman, I don't think you need to put that in there. Like, I don't think you should label that as something to delineate between male and female. Just let it be what it is because it's important that we don't label something that some people see as being a distinction between male and female. But it was a really interesting perspective from her. She was cutting and it had been left in a cut. And um, so we're like, okay. And I didn't necessarily have the, the, my filter was different from hers when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's a interesting message to get there. But her point was, no, it's more powerful if you don't label it. It's like, um, there was a woman last night online and I, I said, I respectfully disagreed with her who said, I can't believe you put men who are stronger in the upper body up against women. And, you know, my response was, well, have you been watching the series? Did you see when Melissa absolutely destroyed everybody using her upper body to out shovel everybody? Like that's the whole point of why we're doing this. We're trying to say that, not all men have a stronger upper body than all women. We're trying to delineate that it isn't black and white. It isn't stronger and weaker. It's all that other stuff. And it's important for young women to see strong women. It's important for men who are short and, and, and maybe lightweight to see that maybe all their life they've felt inferior as a small underweight guy that they shouldn't be, uh, uh, I shouldn't have a bias applied to them that there's, there's too much gray area. And I love that we have men and women competing. I love that we have old and young. And I love, I love that we've been up. <laughs> well, and I think to your point, Phil, though, going back to the whole editing perspective, because, because I love that story because I think that's really been a part of the discourse as reality TV fans in, in light of what the world has been going through of, okay, diversity is extremely important in front of the camera and diversity, you know, is obviously a catch-all term for a number of things, but it's almost equally, if not more important behind the camera. And I do think having those people in the room to be able to say like, hey, just so you know, I know you mean well, but you're coming from this perspective and here's why from my perspective, this might work or this might not work. That pays dividends because what they're essentially speaking for is a perspective that's going to make up your audience. And so it's, and it's a way to, to really talk about like, okay, this is going to appeal to a certain or not appeal to a certain perspective of people that are watching that you might not even think about in the moment. Yeah. And Mike, what you've said is so powerful. And I'll tell you what's so important is that instead of people being offended by what they hear, Instead of thinking, you know, immediately jumping to I'm offended by that, it should be more like, can I tell you why I'm offended by that? I want to tell you why you need to hear what I have to say, because what you said is offensive and here's why. That discussion, that's the important part, because if people immediately just point fingers and say, you've offended me. And there isn't a discussion to help that person understand why it is offensive, then we'll never learn. Because if you are a person who grows up, grows up uh, in a 
in a racist home and all you see is something through a certain lens all your life and then you come into a situation where you're racist there's an opportunity for that person to change but they can't go from zero to understanding like that mm. there has to be a learning process where their eyes are opened up to different types of love different types of people different types of acceptance of understanding the other person so then it becomes important for that person in the room to speak up and to share their perspective and for other people to stop and listen and learn and that's where that's the only way that we will grow is if people aren't so offended that they just get up and leave the room because they're so offended they should be offended absolutely but they should also understand that that is now their role to help that person see it differently and understand why it's offensive because they may literally not understand they may not know oh my god i didn't realize i'm sorry i it's not something i understand it's uh you know like rattle your dags sometimes you have to slow down and yeah. explain it phil can you explain that to me yeah you don't just say <laughs> like that's it you don't know this I'm, I could be so I am so offended that you guys don't understand what rattle your dags is. I'm sorry. I don't have time to explain it to you. But the fact that you don't understand is offensive to me. I'm leaving mm-hmm. and I will not talk to you again. You've offended me. Yeah. Anyway, that's absolute. Jess, it's OK. I'm just kidding. Jess. <laughs> Why uh, is so, everybody looking at me? So, <laughs> no, it's just so, the look on your face. You were like, is he serious right now? Um, so with, with, the, with the team competition wrapped, I would love to hear, Phil, I don't know how much you can preview like how the finale is going to work, but I am, you gave us like a little snippet in the finale, but how is it going to work from a structural perspective? Because we're essentially getting from what, five down to one at the end of two hours. Mike, I, um, I hate to do this to you, but I, it's 11 o'clock and I have to go and I'm not <laughs> avoiding the question. <laughs> I have to do an interview. I have to do an interview with a couple of the uh, contestants and it is 11 o'clock. And, and as always, the time with you guys flies literally. Um, so I'm sorry, I have to jump out. Um, but needless to say, uh, you will love the next episode, I think. And um, I, I get your, get your tissue box out and all the rest of it because uh, you probably will have tears. Very excited. Uh, right. Tell tell the contestants hi from us. Okay. I will. All right, I Phil, will. get to work. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Phil, uh, I hope we can uh, talk to you next week after the finale as well. Mm. You got it. All right. Well, listen, thanks for watching. Thanks for taking an interest in the show. The The ratings were up last night, and the, um, everybody's Amazing. very obviously happy about that, and it's nice that more and more people are seeing the show. I appreciate you getting the word out there. Okay. You got it, Phil. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. And thanks for my, my drawing. I'm enjoying the, (laughs) I look forward to the progress. I'll I'll post the finished product when I'm done. Uh, And then it's going to live in the office, right? Yep. I'll send you a print. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Just a quick break before we get back to talking about this week's Tough as Nails. Want to take a moment and thank one of our sponsors, our friends over at Lightstream. We know on Tough as Nails, 
dirty hands, clean money. If you want to save money this summer, why not start by paying less interest on your credit card balances? You could refinance with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. It's an easy way to save hundreds of thousands of dollars and lower your interest rates. Lightstream offers fixed rate credit card consolidation loans from 5.95 APR with auto pay and excellent credit. Why not take a chainsaw to the interest rates that you're paying on those credit cards? At 5.95 APR, you will be much lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 19% APR. Lightstream rewards customers who have good credit with a great interest rate and no fees. Get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000. You can even get your money as soon as the day that you apply. Listen to a testimonial from a Lightstream customer. Heard about Lightstream on a podcast. Was able to look it up on the website. Get clear information. The application process was quick and easy. So go ahead and check out Lightstream. Our listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com slash R-H-A-P. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash R-H-A-P. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash RHAP for more information. And now let's get back to talking tough as nails. All right. We had uh, last night's end of the uh, team competition, uh, the finale of that. I did have to say that uh, for something that was basically like uh, one format over the course of an hour, you know, I feel like that that was very much uh, unusual in the reality TV genre. I did feel like that the hour went by pretty fast in terms of uh, like the way it was structured. I felt the same way. I was I was watching it and like, well, this competition's over. Now we're going into the tiebreaker. And then I looked at the screen. It's like, oh, we are 30 minutes into this. How are, you know, I guess they're not going to have anything else after they finish this tiebreaker. But yeah, that just flew by. I I could have watched another hour of that. This was a toughest nails non-elimination like where nobody got eliminated at the end. You know what it reminded me of? I didn't want to make this uh, uh, bring this up on the podcast because Phil is obviously uh, not as diehard of a Survivor fan as the rest of us crazies. But it reminded me a lot of how in Edge of Extinction... Uh, the season, how there was that entire episode about the Julia boot, about the pilots versus passengers tribal council, mm-hmm. when we sort of figured out that it was basically supposed to be part of like that double boot episode with David Wright, where there was just was so true. much, yeah, so much packed into that, like one half of the episode. They're like, we can make this an entire hour. And to both of your points, I do feel like it worked. I think it also helped that it was first to five. Uh, mm-hmm. So that no matter what, even if one team was to demolish the other, it would still take a good amount of time to get through each and every challenge. Yeah. Um, one of the observations I had from the episode, uh, did it feel like to you that Young is picking on Melissa at this point? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I think Young is looking for a win at this point. Like, dude has sort of been dragged. Beat, he, he beat her in the OT and then he beat her the first time around. And he's like, all right. Uh, let me do exa- do exactly that. And it was like a great redemption uh, opportunity for Melissa, but it did feel like that, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, now, now he's just picking on her. Well, based on what we know about Young, especially like the way Phil talks about him, I would not be surprised if this was like Young trying to coax a win out of Melissa to give her that redemption. 
Yeah, but he didn't take it easy on her. No, he didn't no. because she wouldn't want him to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It doesn't help that uh, Young pu- seems to be pulling a move from a reality contestant who has a similar ha- hairstyle as him, Russell Hands, and being like, "I'm getting in her head. I feel like this could really mess with her if I take her on again." Yes, if I just keep going up against her, then uh, I will uh, ultimately. Uh, it's a psychological warfare. Um, do you want to hear the uh, Dirty Hands rap? Oh uh, yes. Uh, I really yes, please. do. You have it courtesy of the Tough as Nails uh, CBS Twitter account. Uh, Team Dirty Hands got bars. Uh, let's see if we can patch in <laughs> Wendell Holland to see uh, if they should put the mic down. Okay, here we go. Dirty hands. Dirty hands. Dirty hands. Dirty hands. Dirty hands. <laughs> You're tough as nails. Don't need a coat. Bad ass landing even on a boat. Get the job done while we're having some fun. Team Dirty Hands knows how to get it done. I think the thing that really makes it for me is that I, I like the the backbeat that has yeah. no resemblance to anything anybody is saying. Yeah. Also, uh, I just want to go th- go through the lyrics real quick. Uh, <laughs> we're tough as nails, and then okay. Lee comes in. We need a coat. We don't need a coat. Is that <laughs> well. We know that it I mean, was very literally cold. all wear jackets. <clears throat> yeah. But also, like, listen, William Henry Harrison died so that we could all learn how to wear coats. Don't shirk the coats, people. That's not being tough as nails. Who had William Henry Harrison on their tough as nails Blue podcast bingo, bingo card? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. also wrote tough as nails. That means we don't need coats. <laughs> we don't wear a coat. And I then- think. This may be in reference to the fact that it was filmed in like January and February and it was very cold at most of the sites. Like you see, mm-hmm. Phil never takes off that Carhartt coat and that's not for continuity. Mm-hmm. That is because everybody is freezing. And I think I think Lee is referring to the fact that he's like the first one to shed the layer. Okay. So we don't need a coat. Badass land and even on a boat. And then what? What? What is Callie saying about a boat? What? what Badass on land and also on a boat because she's, she's a, boat goes on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> but I think she she's implying that all of her teammates would be excellent crewmates as well. I guess so. I guess so. Get the job done while we're having some fun. Team Dirty Hands knows how to get it done. We get the job done while we're having some fun. Team Dirty Hands knows how to get the job done. We we already said that. <laughs> listen they're they're running out of they got around the coat boat stuff they didn't want to move on from that i find it ironic that miles is the one who said like we're getting stuff done while having fun uh considering that he was the one that yelled at his team after they won that one time mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah well you know it would also scan if he said we yell at our team after we've won <laughs> we, we, go, we go to our team we yell and scream <laughs> Um, can I give another observation about the Tough as Nails crew? Uh, I love Murph because Murph, he is exactly the same no matter yeah. what is happening. Where mm-hmm. Murph, after a tough loss, well, that was a tough loss for our team, but we're just going to have to go back out there and try it again. Murph winning the lottery. Well, that was a big break that we won the lottery today. So I'm very excited. Uh, uh, we have a lot more money to be able to yeah. do things. That, he is so, he is exactly the same. You cannot rattle his dags. 
Murph after chopping his finger off. Well, I still have nine more. It's not going <laughs> to oh, stop that, me tomorrow. I'm going to go. That was, that was certainly a setback. Uh, that's why I said, I said I loved Murph from episode one is because he is so steely the entire time. That even when he's like, oh, no, a fear of heights. Do you not see the sweat pouring down my forehead? Like he's just so <laughs> reticent yeah. the entire time that it's it's so much fun to play off. And of. it really is like uh, on a scale of Murph to Roofer Lee, uh, where uh, <laughs> like, uh, hey, Roofer Lee, uh, I've got a fun size Milky Way for you. He's like, oh my god, I can't. This is great. It's the greatest day of my life. I love candy. Uh, this is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I haven't felt like this in twenty years. <laughs> so can I? call my shot right now go for it murph's gonna win murph win i mean it's if again uh phil due to the the fortunate buzzer beater nature was unable to disclose how the finale is going to work but i will eat a carhartt hat if it does not come down to some configuration of danny versus murph and and i was spending a little bit of time looking at the danny edit because Mm -hmm. you know this is how we this is how we do on these podcasts and we saw almost nothing of Danny this episode. Like we saw him kind of rally a victory for his team, but we, and we saw a few people say, well, I admire your energy and I really love what you bring to this team. But Danny has not had the same arc Murph has. We've seen Murph yeah. over and over adjust his approach to other people and talk about the future and about forward progress and about what, how his career has informed that. And I feel like, Murph is the one who's gotten the winner's edit here. See, I have been under the impression I think Danny is going to win. I do Ooh. think it will be Murph versus Danny, uh, but I do think uh, I have Danny as the winner. Well, this is really like the Dom and Wendell of of, yes, of, uh, of Tough as Nails, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, are you going to... The same way that we frequently assign uh, undrafted team members to you. Do you want to take the the field? Yeah. I mean, listen, I feel like there's a chance that my, if it's a final three, I could see like miles sneaking in there. Well, I was going to ask you who of, if, if it's not Murph or Danny, for some reason, if it's a total out of left field, like who do you think is the most likely person to be that person out of left field? Do you think miles? I, I think it's Miles. I think if you're looking at the other three, again, if we're if we're talking about like the people with the most complete edits uh, being part of this Miles, final group, Callie and Linda, those are the other people. In I would yeah, say the- I would say Linda also has a pretty complete edit. Like if we're ranking mm. the edits, I would say it's got to be Murph, Danny, Miles, Linda, Callie. I don't know. I feel like Linda, I mean, maybe it's just because, again, Linda's really not doing anything for me. Um, I feel like she had that moment last week, but I feel like we're much more being told about, like, this is who Linda is than, like, her actually undergoing some sort of growth, which you sort of ascribe to Murph, and I would also ascribe to somebody like Miles mm-hmm. as well. But what is what has Callie done, either? Like, we yeah. have not Gonna, seen... She's, she's purple Callie. <laughs> purple Callie. <laughs> she works on a boat. She doesn't need a coat. Doesn't need a coat. Uh, I just can't wait for next week if Murph does win. Like, Murph, you want a truck in $200,000? Wow, what a development. Yeah, this is incredible. I did not see this coming. <laughs> I did think, though, that in terms of um, the Murph versus Danny being the champions of both teams, I, I sort of had forgotten that they are basically the, the de facto captains. Of, not like uh, Captain Callie, but they are like the two people that put these teams together way back when. Well, actually, it was not Murph. It was oh, Lewis. No, not. Oh, it was Lewis. Lewis was, it was Lewis. Yeah. Oh, all right. That's oh, right. Because Lewis won. Lewis won the uh, Lewis won the Brickling Challenge, and he got the ability to choose the team. But yeah, like you said, no, it's actually you know what it is. It is Survivor Samoa. Danny is the Russell Swan, and 
Lewis was the Mick. He mm-hmm. sort of became a bit checklist and sort of gave control of the, of the group to somebody else. And that's more been the, the figurehead. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's too much Survivor Samoa in this podcast for me. I can't even. I mean, you are forgiven for thinking that Murph is the de facto leader because he really did step into that role. And it's also like every individual competition has been Danny and Murph, Danny and Murph, yep. Danny and Murph. And so it's almost a relief when somebody other than them wins an individual competition. Do you think that Murph is going to have any sort of uh, difficulty in, in the individual competition next week after suffering an injury here? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, he conquered one of his major fears. I think the like, I think pretty much, and Phil's talked about this as well with injuries, everyone pretty much feels the adrenaline. So again, who knows how many challenges that all of them are going to have to go through next week. But I think if anybody is going to just be like, Oh, I hurt, I hurt my finger. Who cares? It's going to be Murph, mm-hmm. right? He's going to be like, okay, this is, you know, water off a duck's back. Let me move on. I think it's also worth noting that this did not seem like a very serious injury. Like for all the hype you got at the top of the episode, like they kind of spliced together Phil yelling, no, no, no. And somebody says medic and they show blood on the ground. It looked like, it looked like a very superficial wound. He had a Band-Aid on in the last mm-hmm. shot. So I'm going to say that's not going to have any effect whatsoever. Well, in terms of Lewis getting an injury where it wasn't so much that I think that he was in pain. It was like whatever sort of like bandage they put on him kind of slowed him down in uh, the next couple of weeks where he ultimately got eliminated. I just wonder if that could potentially slow uh, Murph down if he has to do something that really requires a lot of dexterity. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly. It looks like like one of them, they're like crashing through an obstacle course. Looks like one, they're like transporting barrels in a mm-hmm. warehouse. So I'm, I don't know. It could be as simple as like, we just get, you know, uh, individual challenges with someone, the, the person finishing in the last getting eliminated each time. Maybe they eliminate like two people at a time. I have no idea what to expect from this finale, but it is two hours. And we saw tonight how... They can really just take like a single singular challenge aspect and stretch it out into an hour. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting episode no matter what. Jess, if I would have asked you way back when, how do you think that the team challenge is ultimately going to be determined? Would you have guessed Lumberjack Games? <laughs> I think I would. I would have told you Lumberjack Games were going to be in there. Oh, interesting. Because. Just because when you think about like competitive blue collar things, mm-hmm. I feel like lumberjack games is the first thing I go to. This is like something you find on ESPN Ocho in the middle of the night. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, people are really super into this. And of course, we know about competitive lumberjacking from the CBS reality universe, thanks to Timbertina and her brother, who later mm-hmm. appeared on Amazing Race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know that's in the zeitgeist and I know it's coming at some point. I just thought this was a weird place to put it. Mm-hmm. I guess from the angle of everybody gets a moment to talk about what yeah. they've learned and apply right. it. It makes sense. But it was also, it's the last team challenge. I want to see the teams being teams. Yeah. It was less tangible. Yeah, I agree. I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I, I like the showdown element of it, but uh, you know, the, and, and it was dramatic. Uh, it just, uh, that I think it just did not have like the element of the teamwork that we uh, like really enjoyed from the team challenges over the course yeah. of the season. Yeah. But, and to Phil's point, it's there. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not there. It's just harder to see. And no. I think, you from that optics perspective you want something very teamy in the final team challenge yeah 
I honestly, I, I think that the, the show it will be a struggle to have the emotional stakes for the individual portion next week that uh, yeah. the team competition ultimately ended up having. Well, I think it doesn't necessarily help that again. Uh, not to, you know, uh, look down upon, you know, people like Callie and Linda as people, but I think their edits have not given us as much investment. You know, I think with the team challenges, it set up this really, really great cohesive narrative, right? Of like, Dirty Hands is the bad news bears. They were really down and out and they had to overcome their differences, come together, and then eventually battle their way back. There really hasn't been that through line with the individual challenges. There have been individual runners, certainly, like, Young uh, is really out of his element. Danny and Murph trading back wins, et cetera, et cetera. But there hasn't been as much of an individual through line through the individual challenges to your point, Rob, where like we're really walking in being like, oh, I'm so intrigued to see what's going to happen from now on. And from that perspective, you know, to echo a point you made before, when I first saw how the, the show would work, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is an interesting element. People stay on as part of the team thing. But it's going to be really much more of a focus on the individual portion because of the prize. But the complete opposite happened, in my opinion. I think the team aspect, I totally agree, I think has really been the star of the show through nine episodes. Okay. Anything else from our uh, ninth hour of Toughest Man? Is it the tenth hour? I'm not even sure. It's the, yeah, it's the yeah, ninth, I think hour. It's the ninth hour. It's episode eight. It's episode eight. eight. Yeah. yeah. Do we think uh, Phil Ghost wrote the lyrics to Dirty Hands, considering that rap he did for <laughs> Team Fun during the Amazing Race 31? I'm going to say, having heard that rap, no. It's season 31, and we get the job done. <laughs> hey, here's my coat now. Get on the boat. <laughs> really enjoyed that rap song that the A team did. <laughs> that was really great. I really enjoyed that. Um, I cannot remember if I have brought this up before. Um, I may have brought this up last week, but something that Miles says that I have taken notice of, I think it's just like it's the greatest thing that people can say to other people. And I want to start incorporating it into my my regular vernacular. He says to people, I appreciate you. And he says it all the time. And I really love it. It's so it's so positive. It's so personal. and it's I, I think if you know to be on the receiving end of that is really it's it's a such a great thing to say. And I feel like people should express their appreciation to others explicitly more often. Jess, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Rob. Oh, and so we nice. also appreciate Mike. I was yes, gonna say I'm, nice. I'm, I'm here as well. <laughs> I appreciate you, Mike. I appreciate you both and Phil for coming on. And and uh getting spooked by your bell, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, he loved it. <laughs> okay. I, do you think maybe for season two he's going to make a new work whistle that's just the bell? <laughs> yeah, let's get to work. That, that's more of like if you it was like tough as nails, like but set in a hotel where uh, you know that everybody is trying to like. Well, we've brought in people, concierges, housekeepers, uh, bellboys, <laughs> uh, and then everybody's just competing to see who can be the best uh, hotel worker. Well, you know, if American Horror Story can have a hotel spinoff, yeah. I feel like Tough as Nails could be next. I, I don't know. I legitimately think you could do a challenge next season, which like highlights. Hell, we did one about like garbage men. I think we can certainly do one about like the hotel and, you know, hospitality industry of, you know, m- make up this room uh, or, you know, uh, do all these type transport all this luggage. You know, well, look, I, they, I, there's certainly room for it. This is an option. You know, we touched on uh, Love Island real quick. But if for whatever reason that uh, look, they need to film Tough as Nails. They cannot necessarily uh, get to all of the locations. Maybe 
quarantine in the hotel hotel season for season two of tough as nails yeah i mean fix the boiler do the laundry do room service and i said it i said it at the top of the season that we need to have one we need to have one episode where you evaluate toughness by working customer service and having people yell at you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and again like that's that's playing to michelle's strengths but i think i think maybe the best metric of toughness is how you stand up to verbal abuse for something that's not your fault. Oh, well, if that's, if it's, if it's about, you know, verbal abuse, and I think Savage Crew has won the toughness game. From that perspective. <laughs> yes. And as being podcasters, uh, we are well prepared to be able to handle that onslaught. Yeah, if, I think maybe there's a challenge where you have to tweet something and get ratioed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that's easy. Okay. All right. Jess, anything else? Tough as nails. Um, I think that about wraps it up for me. Okay. We should announce from a Phil Kogan perspective uh, that Phil will be back on our screens, even though he's leaving next week. He'll be back in a different perspective. Yeah, what's the uh, premiere October, date? October 14th, 14th. The Amazing Race 32 has finally woken up Rip Van Winkle style, and it will finally allegedly be coming to our screens. It's, yeah. it's amazing that they're going to be showing this, considering it was filmed like way back before the airplane was invented. <laughs> and like everybody has to, has to like walk or take rickshaws or ride a velocipede yeah. from one location to the next. Um, I mean, it's going to be a very different thing. When was The Amazing Race 32 filmed? Was it like fall 2018? Yeah, November yeah. 2018. Yeah. So, all right. Two years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. So uh, we'll be on the lookout for that. But yeah, we get a very clear picture of uh, CBS reality here for uh, the like final third of the year where we have uh, Big Brother ongoing Tough as Nails uh, one more week. I believe five more weeks of Love Island giving way to uh, The Amazing Race 32 in October no survivor season uh coming back but you know CBS really is able to uh lean on all of the, the reality franchises during this time yeah with a little bit of of scripted stuff added and uh what actually speaks to a show that I know the three of us have talked about in some capacity they are uh rerunning the first season of Star Trek Discovery <laughs> On CBS yeah. starting at the end of September. Well, they're running it. I mean, they've never run I, it I guess I guess it's technically not a rerun if you're showing it on your network for the first yeah. time. So uh, if you want to go ahead and get some... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you could listen to me podcast the first season of Star <laughs> Trek Discovery. Maybe there'll be some love for that. Um, are they going to be concurrently also airing uh, season three of Disco <laughs> on all, uh, all Access? <laughs> Yes, because Disco premieres the day after The Amazing Race does on October 15th. So, yeah, it'll, I mean, speaking of time jumps, not to spoil too much Discovery, but there will be going that going on as well. And that they'll have season one and season three of Star Trek Discovery running at the same time on different platforms. OK. All right. That won't get confusing. That'll be interesting. Um, we should probably tell the good people about our ongoing um, temporary tattoo sales. Yes. Oh, yeah. Rob is slash bloom tats for the set of three. I do have them here. Have you have, have you seen these? Have I have I held them up? No, I haven't seen them in person. Hold them up. Yes. I ordered a bunch, but. OK, here we go. Uh, here is uh, Sir Squiddington. Oh, beautiful. Outwit out play out last. Also, the islands of ink. I need to uh, basically just uh, just uh, you know uh, Rodmanize my kids and then uh, put that on Instagram. Uh, Murph, what do you think? But Murph, what do you think about the tattoos? Well, 
I hadn't really been considering a temporary <gasps> tattoo, but I guess they look good. Want to be like Mike Bloom? So <laughs> might as well go ahead and give it a shot. <laughs> Thank you, Murph. I'm glad to have your back. Anytime. Boy, between work. between Rob's new Murph impression and Josh Wiggler's Charlie from the Mole impression, I feel like summer of 2020 is the season of um, unlikely impressions. Mm-hmm. It's all happening. All right. Speaking of the mole, uh, Jess, you have a special feedback edition of Mole Patrol ready to go? Yes. This week, um, if you... If you are watching on the same journey as Josh Wiggler and you have never seen the mole, just delete this one out of your feed entirely. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Brooklyn Zed and I decided to take uh, the opportunity to give Josh an extra week off and talk about everything that we've experienced so far from a spoiler heavy perspective. And we answered some listener questions and we talked about how we felt about Josh's guesses so far as to who the mole is and who's going to win. Mm -hmm. And kind of give a preview of what's to come and how we think he's going to react to that. So it's a very fun hour and a half of podcasting. If you have already seen season one of the mole and you know who the mole is, I say, go for it, dive in. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you have not stay far away. Okay. Um, If I have seen season one of the mole, but have not been keeping up with the podcast, can I jump right in with the feedback show? I mean, you could, but if you have seen it, I think we've had so much fun doing this podcast that I would be remiss if I did not recommend that you start with episode one and just work your way through. I don't even think you need to be watching the episodes in time with us Mm -hmm. if you've seen it before. But like, can I just start watching Star Trek Discovery season three when it comes out? I mean, that's possible. You may be confused, but you can. So this is more of a feedback show for the podcast than it is for like the mole proper. Right, right. Although I think we do mostly talk about the mole proper. Yeah. Just looking for a shortcut. I feel like I wonder if I could just uh, catch up on all the running jokes if I listen to the feedback show. I mean, without Josh there to keep beating the running jokes into the ground, mm-hmm. I think it will be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this does kind of remind me that I've I've always wanted to like write my guide to how to be the most casual of casual Big Brother viewers. Like, I'm not, you know, without even, you don't even have to dive into the podcast. You don't have to watch the feeds. You don't even have to watch every episode. That's where I'm at with it now. What what do you do? What do you you watch? Um, I skipped the veto episode. Okay, and you just watch Thursday. Yeah, I, I watch Thursday and I kind of skim Sunday, and um, then I sort of follow along what people are saying about the feeds uh, to keep up with everything else that happens. Yeah. Okay. It's like the machete order. Of Big <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a little yeah, a little machete order in that you don't want to kill yourself with one because you're spending fifty hours a week on Big Brother. Okay. All right. Jess, what else is going on? Anything? Uh, I got an I got an article dropping on primetimer.com this week about our very own favorite show, Tough as Nails. Yes. Nice. And it was I got twelve hundred words into it and then I was like, I have to go back and I have to talk about the visual identity of the show and all the stuff Phil said about production and I had not gotten there. I had so much to say about this show, so I think it's gonna be a pretty good article. Okay. Uh be sure to check that out. Primetimer.com, right? Yep. Okay. It should be dropping probably early next week. And then, Mike, I know you have been uh, extra busy these days. Uh, what do you have going on, Mike Bloom? 
All right, should we do two plugs and a lie again? Yes. Your please. favorite game, yes. Rob? All right. So, Harry, here we go. So, here are three plugs for you. Again, two of which are true, one of which is a lie. Uh, so, on Beyond Top Chef, we on this coming weekend, we're going to talk about all things salad. So, our different types oh. of lettuces, dressings, what counts as a salad, etc. cetera. Uh, on Down the Hatch this week, we actually went through all of the Lost copycat shows, all of the shows that came after Lost that tried to mimic its formula or certain elements. And then on this past week of the Survivor B&B, the finish of the Wiggle Through Time series, uh, we played Mad Libs around Sue Hawk's infamous rats and snake speech. Hmm. I, th- I don't think you're going to talk about salads on uh, Top Chef. What about you, Jess? Um, I, I'm going with salads, too, because there's, there's no way. Like, if you wouldn't talk about Supermarket Sweep, you're definitely not talking about salads. <laughs> I love this. Like, if this is true, what else is true? I mean, the logic is sound because you're both correct. Yeah, we are not. Haley Strong also does not like salads. Yeah, so I don't think I she's getting anywhere near yeah, a salad podcast. I, I would be booked as a guest if you were going to talk salads. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the other two are true. We are. I did go through all the Lost Copycat shows. To yeah, Jess's point, uh, Josh, it was not going to be on the podcast this week. So I got together with John Krause and the Ben Behind the Curtain to talk through 16 different shows uh, that really tried to mimic Lost in some way. We had actually speaking What's of amazing rate. Successful one. Or do I have to listen to the podcast? Uh, it's probably by pure number of episodes. It's probably Once Upon a Time, which features a lot of DNA. Even though, as someone who covered Once Upon a Time, I can tell you that I certainly <laughs> fell off the wagon a lot more than you might accuse Lost of doing. Uh, and I so- have I have personal favorites that I would love to know if you talk about, but I guess I won't. We won't drive that into the ground. It's not enough time. Give, yeah. give me, give me a name of a show, and I'll tell you if it's on there or not. Did you talk about Drive? No. Oh. Drive was like if Lost is like the scripted Survivor. Drive was like the scripted Amazing Race, and it lasted four episodes. They made seven and dropped the last three on yeah. MySpace. Did, Mike, did you talk about V? Yes, we did. We yes. talked about V. We talked about V Flash Forward, majorly the ones that starred Lost alums aired directly after Lost. So be sure to check that out. And then uh, speaking of Amazing Race, we had Corey Cool, two-time yes. Amazing Racer and part of the RHEP class of 2020 on the B&B to talk about the Borneo finale. And we're going to be talking with Brian Cohen on the Big Brother oh, B&B to, uh, to wrap Brian up. Cohen watch Big Brother. No, he's a, he's a big fan. Uh, so Summer we're going to have Cohen. A- yeah, so we're going to have him on to talk about what has certainly been seven days of Big Brother uh, this past week. And then outside of that, doing exit press for Parade for Big Brother as well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on Everything is Super again this week. So that's that's what I've got going as we start to uh, speed our way out of August and into September already. Okay. All right. Mike, was it only uh, was this that was that last week or this week that we, you were on the, on the Big Brother recap? Was that a week ago? I think it was it was not this past Sunday, but the one before that. But I was on the roundtable last Saturday. Yes, so it, yes. it's a lot of, again, phasing through time, Discovery Seasons 1 to 3 style. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we've got a ton of great stuff up on robinswebsite.com, including I got to talk Love Island uh, briefly uh, here in this podcast. But we talked about the first three hours over two nights of Love Island. I have not yet seen Love Island from last night it's just the uh, it wasn't on last night oh I'm, I'm sorry tonight tonight is the next episode of love island i'm sorry that you know between all this big brother right now and also uh never leaving my house that everything is starting to blur together a bit but uh I, that you know hopefully i'm on all the podcasts i'm supposed to be hopefully <laughs> Oh, you know, like, oh, wait, was it Wednesday? Oh, I totally yeah. missed the podcast. Okay. Just write it on your arm memento style. So you wake up and like, <laughs> okay, big brother. All right, I guess I'll go on. Yes. Okay. So be on the lookout uh, for that. 
Also, uh, I, I'm scheduled to uh, have a chat with uh, Malcolm Freeberg later on today uh, to talk about he has a uh, new show that he has uh, been a part of, which is coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And also, of course, everything going on with the Big Brother, Wiggle Room Through Time. Mary Kwiatkowski joined us uh, to talk about the Borneo finale as well and much more all on Rob'sWebsite.com. Okay, so thank you so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. 